This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Mike Trout is coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all season long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and now the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio Doug Glanville. And Doug, you just got off a red eye from <laughs> San Diego, which means I'm guessing you've never felt better or more energetic. Would that sum it up? Yeah, I feel as fresh as stale bread. I feel, yeah, that's how good I feel. That good. Yeah. Stale bread. Yeah. Yeah, those red eyes never do wonders for your energy level. <laughs> but you'll, people will never know the difference because that's the kind of pro- you are, right? I'm ready to sure. go. It's baseball time. Let's do it. <laughs> Damn up. Um, all right. A, a word from me. Uh, uh, Doug, thanks for keeping life in Starkville operating so smoothly. In my absence last week, um, Eduardo Perez was so good. I, I, I love that guy. And I know we share that. Uh, your, your, your visit with Dave Sims, also wonderful. But I'm sure people were wondering, why would I be off during the first week of the baseball season? So let me just say a word about that. Um, my wife's beautiful mother, Norma, passed away last week. Uh, so it was, a, it was a difficult, emotional week for our whole family. Um, Norma was an amazing person. Amazing. Uh, she was a bridge champion. She, uh, she was ranked in the top 2% of all bridge players in the country. Could tell bridge stories about her all day long. Uh, she was a world traveler, uh, even in her 80s and 90s. If we were going, she was going. So she went with us to Italy, to France, Hawaii, Oregon, Holland, Cooperstown, none of which are that conveniently located. <laughs> you know, I... I, I did a eulogy for it, Doug, and I said, like, there was a better chance of Cal Ripken missing a game in his prime than of her missing any of those trips. And I, I say that because she was a huge baseball fan who even got a mention in my Hall of Fame speech, which, as I told her many times, most mothers-in-law don't get that. <laughs> okay? So the reason was she loved baseball every day day she was in the hospital at the end, she would do two things. She would ask me how the Orioles did. That was number one. And number two was she would tell me, Jason, I love baseball. And she wasn't just saying that, Doug. She watched the Orioles literally every day, even though these last few seasons, that, that wasn't that pretty. 
Uh, so, like, the, the fun thing for me was during these Orioles games that were almost always going really badly or were about to, I would get texts from her. I love these texts. So, I, you know, I, I couldn't help but look through them after we lost her. So, last year, if you remember, the Orioles started 3-0, and swept the Red Sox in Fenway. She texted me, if only the season were over today followed by six exclamation points and eight baseball emojis. She loved those emojis. Uh, by September, though, uh, I think they were they were getting to her. Um, this is what she texted me at one point in September. Depressing. I play better bridge than they played baseball. That's a fact. <laughs> But we had a special baseball thing going, uh, me and her. I, I, I'm really going to miss that thing. Just an incredible person. So, Doug, I, I needed you to pick me up last week, and I'm so appreciative you were there to do just that. No, my pleasure, Jay. And, um, you know, definitely your heart goes out to you and, and your family. And, you know, I, when you mentioned bridge, my mom plays bridge, and I, I definitely came to understand it more than I ever. She taught some of my kids this uh, a couple summers ago on the rules so wow. that was like their thing they did uh as they stayed stayed in the with us for about three weeks and they did their bridge thing so yeah man i mean it's um you know i lost my aunt my mom's sister not long ago who lived in the same building as sweeney murdy for the yankees oh, wow. and um he told you know i saw him in new york and he told the story of of uh, the first time they met when they were on the treadmill, you know. So, and uh, and so I did finally, had, you know, I had a moment with her where I was able to just one-on-one in the hospital just tell her what she's meant. And she was Alzheimer's, so there was, you know, you, you, she could react, but you didn't know what was all being taken in. But we ended up talking, or I spoke and told her all these stories for literally a couple of hours. Uh, recapping all her visits to Des Moines, Iowa. You know, when you, when they come visit you when you're in the middle of nowhere, you know, and not just in the major yeah. league stadiums, then you know, you know that's uh, that's magic. So, so I feel you, man. And baseball is such a it's so critical to both of our families. So it's in some ways it's great to see how it also heals and and gives us great memories. Yeah, I also had that moment with my mother-in-law in the hospital. It was the, really the day before she died. We had a, we had an hour, just me and her. And she really wanted to talk about baseball that day and what it had meant to her. At one point, she even pantomimed swinging a bat. <laughs> she looked a lot like that Doug Glanville swing. She was chasing the high one, Doug. <laughs> All right, but again, thank you. And thanks to everyone who has reached out to, to me and my family. It's meant the world to us. All right, uh, Doug, let's talk a little bit about this first week or so of the baseball season before Bruce Bochy joins us to talk about the Giants, uh, some of the highlights of his Hall of Fame career, and uh, the Giants apparently tearing up their copy of the unwritten rule book. Uh, Doug, you've been, you, you know, you've been traveling, doing baseball games. Has there been a moment in these games that you've been doing or before the games or after games that really has stuck with you? So many, Jay. I mean, first, just what stuck to, with me overall is how much I've missed seeing my baseball family, you know, the friends on the road and, and forgetting like, oh, Tomas Perez is coaching for the Braves. You know, there's an old teammate and, 
you know, I ran into Randall Simon in the lobby of a hotel from our 03 Cubs days. So I think that stood out. And, um, you know, so I've taken a lot of pictures. And I it reminded me when I was getting older in, in the game as a player. And I kind of I said, I got to smell the roses a little bit. I got to get an autographed bat from somebody. You know, I, I just started to do that. So I'm trying to be a little bit earlier on this, calling the games and cherish the moments and tell stories off of some of these great pictures. Uh, I took a picture with Will Venable uh, when the Red Sox last week, and I did an article. I got interviewed for an article years ago only to learn that I was the first black Ivy League graduate to play in Major League Baseball. Like, I didn't – I had no idea. You know, I knew it might have been rare, but I just didn't – and. 10 years later, Will Venable broke in to be the second. So I wrote him an open letter on the New York Times. And I took, so I saw Will in Boston. I said, you know, I got to take a picture. So I, I'm trying to capture those. So I think the one fun story was we were doing the Braves, Padres. I don't know. It's probably been yesterday, actually. And, um, you know, I, I've never met Dansby Swanson in my life. Uh, and I know he was the first pick overall, and I've watched him from afar, and I appreciate how he plays. So I took the time at the batting cage to say, hey, man, just want to say to you, I appreciate how you hustled. Yesterday you had two doubles, and they only happened because you ran right out of the box, first step. So I kind of said something like, doubles and triples happen in the batter's box. And he's like, all right, hold on a second. He was about to hit, and he says, I got a story to tell you. So he comes back over afterwards and spends the whole group in between hitting talking to me. And he says, well, just wanted you to know that I went to a Braves-Phillies game when I was a kid, and you signed my program, and I just remember that. And uh, it's it's amazing how that stuff sticks with you. So he started telling me these stories. Now, first of all, immediately I said, how old am I right now? Because this, <laughs> this guy's a world champion, like been in the league a while now. But it was cool to see because this is a player that I didn't meet before. He, you know, on his own, he just wanted to share that story. And then you think about how connected we are in many ways that we don't even realize that, you know, and the importance as a player of signing those autographs. I tried to sign every autograph after the game in Philly. And, you know, Jeter was great at it when I was in spring training. I was amazed at how well he could do that. So, you know, that was it was cool to see it full circle even though it, it gave me a lot of, it added a couple decades to my life. But um, a player that, you know, is you know good good ball player and has won the World Series, just to think that that moment, really about almost 20 years ago, really stayed with him. And so I told him that, you know, Bob Boone was my first autograph from the mail. And I remember that. It stayed on my <laughs> bulletin board right over my bed until I went to college. So... Uh, so that was cool to get full circle. And that's how we're connected in this game, just like with our family. And so I, that was, I really did appreciate that. That's a cool story, man. In fact, you know, and now that you're roaring around the country, going to these games every week, maybe we should make this a regular part of the opening segment where you're going every week because of who you are, you're going to have a moment with somebody in a ballpark. And when you have these kinds of stories, I, I want you to tell them because they, they give such a window into the human being that you are. And like we we work a lot. You really work a lot. You got a lot of jobs. Um, but there there are you know there are reasons that we love doing what we do. 
And those moments, in, in a way, sum up that reason, like the special joys, the special rewards of a of a crazy job where you do a game on one coast, and then next thing you know, on no sleep, you're doing a podcast on the other coast. <laughs> that it, it's all worth it for those moments. So we're gonna make an effort during this season to t- to highlight the special. Doug Glanville moments. That'll keep those people coming back. You know, yeah, I appreciate it, Jay. It's, it's, there's so many, and and yeah, I'm, I'm just thankful. Back on the road, calling the games, just talking to everybody. Just that simple talking, and uh, love to share that. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/slash/credit-card. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew neck t-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra-soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. Doug, it's time to welcome a guy I cannot believe has never visited Starkville before today. It's the longtime manager of those San Francisco Giants and a guy who very well might get elected to the Hall of Fame later this year by the Today's Game Committee. It is Bruce Bochy. Boach. Welcome to Starkville. How are you? I'm glad to be here in Starkville. Uh, thanks for having me on. I look forward to this. <laughs> well, likewise. Um, so first off, for all the people listening who are wondering what the heck is Bruce Bochy doing these days, what the heck is Bruce Bochy doing these days? Well, you know what? I certainly have lightened the load since I was managing. Uh, my last year was 2019. And uh and so, you know, I stepped down and spent more time with the family. So I have been spending, uh, you know, time with my boys, grandkids, my wife. Uh, um, we did uh, buy uh, a little place here in Nashville. That's where I'm at now, where one of my sons is with two grandkids. So uh, spending time there. I st- I'm still working with the Giants. I was in spring training uh, uh, for the most part. Uh, you know, I spent... Uh, the majority of my time in uh, minor league camp. So, you know, I'm still getting uh, 
you know, my, my feel of baseball. And I'll visit all the affiliates uh, this summer. I'll go see all the kids and how they're uh, progressing. I'll go to the Bay Area, get some games. Uh, on top of that, guys, I, I kind of got put back together uh, after my last year. You know, my back was pretty well shot. So I had back surgery and I've I just got a new knee put in uh, about four months ago, so a knee replacement, and uh, and I've gotten a new hip since then. So I, I feel like wow. Frankenstein. They, they, wow. kind of back, <laughs> they, they put me back together here, but I feel great. You know, well, I, I was going to ask you if you've jumped if you've jumped out of any more helicopters, <laughs> but I'm, I'm guessing you just answered that question. Yeah, no, that that was part of the. Uh, I think the problem was I was trying to do some things that. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have been doing. And uh, but no, I, I had a heck of a time with that trip, and uh, uh, you know, spending time with the seals, and you know, the jumping out out of a helicopter at midnight in some lake I knew nothing about in Georgia. <laughs> I got to have to admit, uh, I didn't know, I did not know that was on the itinerary, <laughs> and I, I certainly puckered up on that one. But uh, and then we had a swim. I mean, it was like we had this little vest on, but you know close to a mile to get to shore so it was uh it was quite the deal so you're thinking you're not actually navy seal material no you know what I, and i love the water right but uh, i mean what what those guys go through and i just got a little taste of it uh that's just incredible uh you know uh, the training uh you know I, I live in san diego so i've seen part of it uh i've, I've actually been out there uh we we're out there uh, trying to catch some lobsters one night and they come by on their little boats they're like ninjas and they jump off the boat and the boat keeps going and they pick them up like an hour or two hours later and i don't know where they go well, you know but they they're uh i mean they they go through such a strict training uh, course that uh, it's incredible that you know the human body can take what, what they go through yeah, it sounds like a spring training uh, in in Philly or or <laughs> Chicago, maybe maybe. Or is that how you ran your, your spring training? <laughs> yeah, you know, Doug, it's funny. Uh, I've actually, you know, I brought the seals in to talk to the club a few times in spring training, just so you know, it kind of stops a little bit of the, the complaining that uh, you know what we well back when we had to go to Tucson, you know, we God, we got to go a two and a half three hour ride to Tucson or. Then it became surprise, you know, because we we're based in Scottsdale, and that ended up being a long ride to them, and uh, or just a long day. So they would get up and talk about their, you know, experiences training for a seal and going through the course and everything. So uh, it did, uh, it, it did, you know, help things out as far as uh, you know, putting the guys to work. Well, Bruce, you mentioned uh, going back to spring training. I mean, what is that like? You know, given you know a, a new guard is in. Uh, Gabe Kapler, and how do you work on the mentorship? As you know, knowing probably you have the the mind to still still do it. Yeah, you know what? I, I've enjoyed it. Again, I spent you know most of my time uh, at the minor league complex. Uh, I don't know if you guys uh, I've been to Scottsdale uh, in the last year or two, but if you get a chance, you should go to this complex that the, the Giants just built for for the minor leaguers, Papago. Uh, Oakland used to spring train there, and uh, or or the minor leagues, and uh, it's uh, it's incredible uh, the, the the facility, uh, uh, how nice it is. So, uh, you know, myself, uh, Dave Rigetti, uh, Pat Burrell, you know, there's some guys that you know, we hang out there, and then with Brian Sadie, you know, catch some major league games, but but uh, you know, I pretty much have stayed away from the uh, you know from uh, 
the major league side, they're doing such a great job. And, uh, you know, Gabe comes over to the minor league side and I see him occasionally, but, uh, you know, for me, I love the game. It gives me a chance to, you know, to, uh, spend some time with the kids and, uh, and, and the staff and, and, uh, and then I get to come home and that's a pretty good deal. And, uh, so I, I'm enjoying it. Well, let me ask you a little bit about the giants on the major league side. Um, sure you've noticed this too i you know i got the feeling all spring that people looked at a team that won 107 games and didn't believe in it uh, it was very similar to last year it took people so long it felt like to buy in and hey if you look up at the standings as we record this they're seven and two they've got one of the best run differentials in the sport they just pick right up where they left off with a slightly different cast of characters. So, Boats, let me ask you, what don't people get about the Giants and what makes them so good? Well, I, I think you have to look at the, the roster. and uh, It's not just a 25-man roster. Uh, we're 26 now. But, uh, you know, even the 40-man roster, uh, how, how much depth they have. Uh, um, yeah, because they're dealing with injuries right now. I mean, Longoria's out, uh, Wade's out, uh, Lostella, uh, but you know, the, the roster, the complete roster is, is so good and so talented, uh, uh, that, you know, it softens a blow of, of losing guys. And, uh, so I'd start with that, you know, uh, how, how, what a great job that Farhan's done and, uh, just, uh, you know, making that such a, uh, a deep roster uh, that gives Gabe and the staff, uh, you know, a lot of options. And uh, and then you look at the staff, you know, they, they've done a great job, uh, you know, just, you know, their continued improvement of these guys. But, uh, uh, but number one, uh, you have to look at their rotation. And I'll, you know, I would argue with anybody, their rotation is as good as any rotation in baseball. I mean, when you get Cobb as your number five starter, that's, that's pretty good. You know, they got two number ones with uh, Webb and Rondon. And, and uh, you know, that's, you know, to me, that's the game, the pitching, uh, you know, how, you know, how you'll go as far as uh, how good your pitching is. And, and they're in every game. I I, I would wager that, uh, you know, they're probably good chance to lead the, uh, lead the majors in quality starts, uh, although those are getting a little tougher to you know, get the six innings. But uh, I, I think they'll – They'll lead that. Their bullpen is really good. And, uh, you know, they find guys and uh, just do an incredible job. And then, of course, um, uh, the veterans, you know, Bell, he's gotten off a great start. Bell's starting to show you that spring training's overrated. I mean, he probably had about 10, 10 at-bats. And, uh, and, and, look, and look at the start he's had with Crawford, yeah. uh, you, you know. And now Posey retires. And then you bring up a kid like Bart who's uh, gotten off a good start. And I'm a Joey Bart fan. And uh, I think he's going to do a real nice job, uh, uh, both behind the plate, and he's going to do some damage. Uh, but they just, you know, they they, they just have you know, you know, so many good players. This is Strada. I mean, a lot of people don't even know who he is. They get him, you know, when yeah. he became available from the Yankees, and uh, he can play second, short, third, and he can hit. Uh, uh, but that's just an example of how deep their roster is. I agree. I mean, Farhan is as good as anybody in the game. It just it seems like every day, every week, he's finding those guys on the edges of the roster, and they all can play. They all fit. Just the way they think. And the 
their thinking is so unique. Let me ask you about it a little bit, because we had something really interesting happen with the Giants last week. They had that game against the Padres. It was, what, Tuesday. They're blowing, they're blowing out the Padres. Uh, but they didn't ease up on the gas pedal. You had Steven Duggar stealing a base up 10 nothing. That was, what, second inning. Mauricio Dubon laid down a bunt single when they were up nine in the sixth inning. And then afterward, Gabe Kapler said, basically, the Giants had ripped up their copy of the unwritten rule book. Uh, you know, the, the other team keeps making pitches. The other team keeps shifting on hitters. So he said, basically, it makes no sense for one team to stop competing while the other team keeps competing. And, you know, I don't know about you, Boach. I've honestly been waiting for some team like this to come along and and make this kind of statement. But you're a lifelong baseball man. You're a Hall of Fame manager. I would love to hear your reaction to this. Yeah. You know, I, I never got a copy of these unwritten rules myself either. <laughs> uh, it's... Uh... You know, and, and they're ever changing. Uh, and you know, I think that's one of the problems uh, that you have uh, is how fluid they are. And and you look at the game; uh, it's ever changing. Uh, uh, and the managers. I mean, you're getting these young managers, and so what? What are the rules? You know, and uh, and you know, just to talk a little, you know, to, to get I guess a bit more specific. Uh, you know, just like the score. You know, when when do you? Uh, uh, maybe shut it down a little bit, but uh, but I'm I want to emphasize: you never stop playing the game. You never stop playing the game hard. You uh, uh, that that should never stop. But uh, you know the, the part you're talking about, the running and everything. Yeah, that's changed. You know, when I came up, you know it was maybe five runs or even six, and if you were past the fifth, you know that was a no no and. Uh, uh, and so, you know, then it's, and, you know, it's getting a little bit uh, of a bigger lead, but I'll, I'll take you back. When I first came up in Houston, Bill Burden, he, he was not a believer in it. And, and he wanted you to play the game right. Now, we still, I, I think you don't ever forget about sportsmanship and respect. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not a big believer in kicking man when he's down. It's just knowing when, when he is down and, uh, and, and, and when it's time and that, and we all have a different interpretation. Every manager is going to have, you know, his thought on, on this. And, uh, because, you know, that to that is variables, you know, you're pitching where it's at, your starters, relievers. Uh, but, um, when Bill Burden was there, if a guy, he didn't care if the run, if, if we were winning 10, nothing, if the first baseman got behind, uh, you as a base runner, you had to go. And that was like a no-no back then. It, wow. it, it was never talked wow. about. And he said, if there's any problem, then, you know, they can come get me or I'll go to the manager and tell them. And, uh, and that's how we had to play. So, you know, and I kind of felt like that. And so I look at it as, you know, like a shift. If you're going to shift and not give the guy his right, you know, chance to get a base hit, then fine. I don't care what the score is, you know. Uh, uh, so you you don't change uh, playing the game right now. What they're going to have to do is figure out, you know, at some point though, what where do you cross the line, and uh, is it ten, eleven runs in the eighth inning? Uh, but you know, I I, I think you have to uh, keep playing the game. You, you don't want to stop scoring, 
Now, it was talked about, well, you want to use their bullpen and make their pitchers uh, uh, get up and things. But my thought always was I didn't want to use my guys. If I had, a, let's say, a six, seven-run lead, I didn't want to let them back in the game. And now I'm getting up my, you know, my front-line relievers, my back-end guys, and uh, make them get up. So, you know, we've talked about that. That's why it's important to keep adding runs. Um, so, anyway – I, you know, I, I, I think you never stop using common sense. And that's with life. But I think with the game itself, at some point, I think you, you, you do have to say, all right, this is common sense. It's over. And uh, because, you know, fans do have a right to see you play the game. But, you know, they also don't want to see a position player out there pitching, and uh, which you're seeing more and more of, which I didn't like. And I had to do it. I didn't do it very often. You know, the big one was Pablo, and uh, he ended up being my best pitcher that day. But, <laughs> yeah, but you, you know, because I would, I would feel responsible if he hurt his arm or if he took a line drive on, you know, broke his hand or something. And uh, so yeah, it's common Jose sense. Jose Canseco. Canseco, like Jose, you go, dog. Yeah, blow out so, his elbow. <laughs> well, then, you know, I I wanted to avoid that, but uh, it gets again, it's common sense, you know. Uh, uh, on this stuff, but I, I've been caught in them. Uh, and Jason, as you know, I mean, I was caught in when Schilling was throwing a, 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 a no hitter. Yeah, ben that's right. Ben Davis, I mean, yeah. I, I browse the Rays, and you know, Brindley and I, we <laughs> occasionally have talked about it. He's still now, I'm curious what he thinks now, but he still was back in, you know, Doug, and uh, but it was, you know, it was a ball game at that time. We're trying to get the time run up there. Now, get back to what I'm talking about, common sense. Now, if it was a, they, they had a 10-run lead, no, you're not going to do it. But we're in that game with, what, two, three, three-run lead, and Davis got, he got on, and we ended up getting the tying run. And you remember, Klesko hit a ball to the wall in center field, and we almost tied the game. So you never stop trying to win the game. So, But that was a big one at the time. It was like, how dare we run with the no-hitter? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, well, so, Bochum, well, did you did, did you have to – was there ever a time as a manager you pulled someone aside or had a veteran talk to a player and say, that's not how we play it? Did you ever feel like you it was bad enough that they didn't have common sense and you had to step in? Yeah, I did. I, 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 more than once, uh, you know, I, I had to, uh, you know, just – especially if I thought he, he went overboard – you want guys to play with emotion, but, uh, you know, if, you, if you're up 10 runs and you hit a home run, yeah, like it's a game winner. I mean, come on. And again, we're talking, you know, common sense because listen, guys, we're all wired different. I, I, I mean, it's, you know, they're competitive out there and some of us are just a little bit different, whether it's Bumgarner or Gibson or hell, it, unwritten rule was you don't ever bottle Nolan Ryan. You know, yeah, no matter right, what the right. score was, I'm just saying. <laughs> so you're going to have somebody still in the game that's going to take exception. It may not be him. It may be his best friend out there pitching, and uh, they're showing – he thinks they're showing him up. And uh, so, yeah, uh, I, you know, I think something uh, that you could do, and the managers could do, because they, at all the winter meetings, the, the managers have their big meeting. Maybe get together and just talk about it. Say, hey, we're not playing rules – any unwritten rules? This is how it's at, uh, how it's going to uh, be played, or how we're going to play, and and uh, because you know you 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 want to stay away from the fights and things, and uh, 
But I can tell you, when you got a guy out there that's he's getting his lunch and he's giving up seven or eight runs, and then they're still bunting, uh, and you know something's going to happen uh, with with certain guys. So, but you'd never stop playing. That that's my biggest thing, and uh, so totally agree with that. Uh, um, and I, yeah, I, I, I'll just tell you real quick. One that gets me, uh, guys, um, and that it was my pet peeve was. Why does a winning team, if he got, if he gets behind the base runner, you know, six or seven runs, they can steal. But then when you are hitting, they play behind. <laughs> they take exception if you run. Now I had a couple confrontations with opposing managers with this, and they would start it like the sixth inning, where up seven runs. It's like they're throwing the white flag. So you know, you don't run the very next inning. You do the same thing they run. So, see, these are things that probably yeah, probably need to get cleared up, and uh, especially with the uh, you know that, that ever changing uh, unwritten rule. Yeah, you know, here's what I've been wondering: uh, Was this an earth shifting moment? You know what I mean? Is this is this that moment where the unwritten rules start to go away? And you know, you raise this: How is that even possible? <laughs> If the other team doesn't accept it, right, right, right. Well, I, I think you have to look at Tatis where it kind of started, uh, which was ironic because you know he's with the Padres and uh, what yeah. happened there. But uh, you know the swing in three and zero, I think they were up seven or something in the eighth inning, and uh, I think that's when it, you know, that was a tipping point. You would you would have thought, and then of course it's. It, but you know what? Again, it's not going to stop because at some point, you know, somebody's going, well, wait a minute. That's, that's just, it's just wrong. That's just wrong. And, uh, uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it probably should be talked about unless you're just going to say it doesn't matter up 15 runs. I, I, I saw it, you know, I saw it on a personal level. My son was pitching triple A. They were up 13 runs and they were all getting some work and. uh, and they, uh, a guy got on, he stole second, and then, uh, you know, he ends up giving up an earned run. Well, that's what pitchers got upset about. When you play behind, they stole, then they give up a, a base hit, and uh, that cost him an earned run. So, you know, there's different ways to look at this. And, again, that's why I said just let's look at the situation. They're all a little bit different and, uh, and talk about it. Well, Boach, you know, I was on a college team, by the way. And I, will, I knew, by the way, I, I knew this I story to, was coming. I, I, I knew you it. You need to hear this. Four, uh, we were up 14 to nothing. And college World Series, right? Well, there's a regionals in, regional. in Waterbury, Connecticut. They were playing Lemoyne College, where Jim Deshays went. And we lost that game in extra innings. We, and we, there, we were like in the seventh inning, up 14 to nothing. So, I mean, yeah, is that once in a lifetime? Probably. But, um, I mean, look, I, I value unwritten rules in, in a sense, because I always think of it like in my house, right? With kids, you're trying to figure out what's the etiquette of eating dinner or clearing the plate. There's a lot of things that are unspoken and unwritten that, you know, you're not handing them a guide of like how to be a good son or something like that. You, They're teachable. And I think I learned a lot from the legacy players like Dunstan, people passing things down in certain ways, even though it wasn't a hard and fast rule, like three runs, four runs, but you have, you know, it, it's like you said, it's, some of it is just about respecting. It's about etiquette. It's about sportsmanship. And none of those are really written down. So I, I don't have a problem with the 
the spirit of things that are, you know, generationally passed on. I think it's like the hard and fast stuff that's really hard to figure out. Because I think one of those stories, it might have been you you were managing the Giants. I think you were playing the Twins. I think it was some interleague. Or it, it was definitely a Twins game where they started playing behind the runner. And then they stole and bunted and all these things. And, and so, yeah, I, you know, uh, but I think Kapler is, you know, is going to push the envelope because that's how he's been able to pull off what he's pulled off. So I'm, I'm curious, like, where that goes. So so as a person who's seen a 14-run lead evaporate, I, you know, I kind of like, the game's not over. <laughs> no, no, and I hear you. And that's, that's uh, and that's why I say you never stop trying to score because it, you're not only affecting their team and their pitching, but you're affecting yours. It's just, Doug, at what point do you, do you not uh, – you know, maybe lay down a bun or still. I don't know what that point is. Now, for you, it's 14 runs because you lived it. You know, I, I've never given up a 14-run uh, um, uh, lead, so that wouldn't be my benchmark. But, again, that's why I, I mentioned, you know, when they had those meetings in, uh, in, uh, in the winter meetings, uh, you know, I ain't talk about it. You know, get it out there so, you know, they can address the club and say, listen, uh, this is how it's going to be. And, uh, uh, you know, because, you know, when Gabe, he came out, and you, you, yeah, you have to uh, respect the fact he came out and said, said, what, you know, what, how they're going to play. So teams know and they're going to play the same. And so now you got some communication. So now you're not raising eyebrows when it happens. Hey, the, the man's come out and said this. And, uh, and uh, so, hey, like it or not, this is this is uh, how the game's going to be played, and uh, and so you know it's going to you know stop the you know as you know the dugout, the chirping, and everything because it's out there. Hey, this is how we're playing from now on, and uh, so I, I'm good with that. I am. And, you know, we you know, you know we all change. I mean, I I I've changed thoughts on uh, on different things, but. You know, you think about back when I came up in 1978, you know, when you stole, and I didn't steal because I couldn't ride a lick, but, but those guys that had to run when we're at eight or nine runs, they're thinking they're getting drilled the next time up. They didn't like it. And that's where the game's changed a little bit, too. I mean, it's hard to – players, you know, how they would police things up and you know, umpires will let it go. Now, you know, you're you're suspended once you throw at somebody. And uh, so it, it's – that can't be done as easily if you wanted to do it. I'm not saying you do it, but uh, that's also where, where it's changed. You know, speaking of old school, new school, there are so many reasons that you were great at what you did. But one thing I always thought about you was you were ahead of your time in a lot of ways. I, for some reason, people looked at you as old school, but you were a guy who used your bullpen and creative ways you used your best relievers early middle and late um you know there were a lot of times you were not a bunt for one run kind of manager uh you weren't a big fan of the intentional walk do you think people saw you as more old school than you really were you know i i i would agree with that and um the reason I'm telling you is because uh, I I would hear a lot that I would just go with my gut, my instinct, and uh, you know, and I've said this before. I've talked about it, uh, you know, and I kind of be honest. I take that a little personal because you know we had information, we had stats, and uh, you know, it, just what they have now or they're advanced 
statistics, but we had those. Uh, we had a, a, a baseball ops that uh, you know would give us all the stuff that we would need during our even our World Series years, and uh, and we would use that because as a coach and manager, you want all the information you can get, and uh, so I did use that uh, uh, when when I wanted a pitcher uh, uh, to go in that game or certain part of the order and uh you know that's all about preparation and uh so uh i, I think I, you know in that respect I, I do agree with you that uh uh and and real quick i'll just go back to my first year i i, I mean gosh i i did everything at that time uh back in 95 i ran the meeting how we we're going to pitch them how we we're going to defend them Finally, I said, wait a minute, I'm not as smart as Davey Lopes and those base running or, <laughs> you know, the pitching coach, whatever. But uh, but we did use the stats. I used, you know, I, I marked where they hit the ball and stuff and kept track of that. So uh, so I, I I would agree with that. Well, Boach, I mean, one thing I think about in your time of always managing all these pieces so well, you know, Travis Ishikawa, I got to throw that out there. I mean, you know, deciding to, you know, stay with certain players late in the game. Uh, but then I think of the Atlanta Braves last season and how they made all these moves and got these players at once. They were, weren't even over 500 till August and, and pull it off. How challenging it is and, and what skill set did you tap when you got new players in deals that you had to figure out how to fuse into your team and still pull off what you did with these world championships? Yeah. Well, Great question. I mean, you have to use, uh, you know, uh, the people who are really watching them or uh, have more more information on them than, uh, than you do. And, uh, you know, just to talk about Travis Ishikawa, I mean, I had him earlier as a first baseman, but I never saw him in the outfield. And uh, Brian Sabian says, you know, we need some help in the outfield. And, uh, and I knew he would be a good fit on the club, but... Uh, I didn't know if he'd be able to handle left field. And uh, in fact, he's coaching with us in the minor league. And we still laugh about, you know, him being out left field in the World Series. Uh, uh, all that happened, but of course, the big home run he hit to get us in the World Series. But, uh, you know, the thing you try to do, uh, I think as a manager, is you try to get as creative as you can and, uh, and, and to make players as versatile as possible. And, uh, that way you can fuse them into uh, your lineup. And uh, it's incredible with, with some work that you can get a guy, you know, to play first base or play in the outfield. And the Giants do a great job, Bobby, because they have, they've always had uh, you know, a lot of versatility and uh, flexibility uh, with the team. So, you know, sometimes you get locked in, you know, why he's, he's just a second baseman. I still think I go back when we get Scudero. And I brought Marco in right away. So, Marco, you think you can play third? He goes, well, I'll give it a shot, you know. And I'd, I'd always tell him, I said, listen, if you, know, you make an error, it's not your fault, it's mine. I'm the one putting you there trying to take pressure off him. But uh, And he ended up never playing third because the guy ended up hitting over 360 for us and playing second base and, you know, it helped us in 2012. So, but anyway, uh, you know, you – you just try to use, uh, you know, your scouts and your uh, player development, and uh, of course your your front office, uh, you know, to help you with all the information you can get when you get them. You know, it feels like we've had so much fascinating managerial stuff here, even though the season's so young. 
I, I can't help but ask you about it. Um, Clayton Kershaw throws seven perfect innings, strikes out 13. He's at 80 pitches, and your friend Dave Roberts takes him out of the game. Would, would that ever have happened uh, during your career or most of your career? Um, yeah, I can't say say that wouldn't happen. I mean, that was his first start, and uh, you know he's had right. some injuries, and uh, you know what what was uh, interesting, I think, was you know Clayton's been around and he didn't fight it, so uh, at least I don't think he did. Uh, no. uh, and uh, so you know you're relying on him, but uh, you know you got to look after your guy, uh, especially the first start, and. Uh, you know, there's nothing like a no hitter. Trust me, uh, they're they're incredible to watch and uh, and, um, and and watch the celebration. And, and it's amazing how they bring the team together too. Because I I was part of Kane's perfect game because it's everybody uh, pulling for them. And but that 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 would be a tough one, uh, but not the first start of the season. Uh, season. I, I you know. And I'll have fun with Dave Roberts. Doc, you know, he played for me, and I'll I'll see him this winter. But uh, you know, that's his second one. I think it's uh, you know, it's getting it is. it's getting Rich be, Hill. it's getting to be habit with him. So uh, I'll, I'll I'll have fun getting <laughs> all of them. Trust me. Hey, quick update: Do you and Dave have a uh, have a bet going this year? You had you had the bet last year, and who was going to win the West that we know you won? Um, is there a, a rematch this year? You know what? I think he's a little nervous. I, he, he he's not he's not phony enough on this wager. He's uh, he's been pretty quiet. I think he's superstitious, and uh, he saw what happened last year, so he, he doesn't want to do it. But uh, uh, it's going to be a heck of a race. I, I, again, you look at the Giants pitching; uh, it's it's as good as any staff in baseball. So, you know, I expect this thing to be similar to last year, and. Uh, of course, you look at San Diego, their club, and the Rockies. I mean, what a great start they've gotten off to. But, uh, um, uh, yeah, I'm waiting. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. And, you know, and, and I'm hoping somebody mentions that to Dave, and maybe I'll get a call because I certainly enjoy it. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm just saying, by the way, I haven't collected on my first one yet. So, you know, you think you think a guy got an extension with all that money, he wouldn't be so tight. So, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, not, I'm waiting to hear back. <laughs> well, now, now speaking of Dave Roberts, now <clears throat> you know we met. I, I want to say we met. Didn't we go on a cruise together? We a, a long time ago. Stan Bonson. Uh, I, I think we met somewhere in one of these events. But that that's one part of it. The you know. So when I retired, I finished playing in 05 and my agent was like, "Oh, the Padres are interested." And bring you over. I think it, in 05, you had, I think you had Dave Roberts and Eric Young or something. And someone went down a couple of hamstring injuries, and I had already decided to retire. And then all of a sudden, I think Roberts and Young got hurt in the first two weeks of the season. <laughs> so I don't know if you remember any of this, but this, is, this was my relay. And I was like, well, I'm already <laughs> retired now, so I was already home. But I, it seemed like there was a moment I could have played for Bruce Bochy in San Diego. I don't know if that is, is that true? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kevin Towers, I think that, you know, we were very close. Uh, I mean, we played together. My, my first year manager in my league, Judd, Kevin was my pitching coach. And, uh, you know, and then then he ended up being, uh, you know, my GM. But, uh, yeah, we we actually were, you know, pretty good. Uh, then, I mean, 05, 06, you know, we went to the postseason. And, 
you know, we needed, uh, uh, you know, a player like you, uh, uh, you know, with the injuries that we had, and, you know, the center fielder, uh, speed, uh, you know, somebody who could hit at the top of the order. So, you know, we, we were uh, hunting pretty good at that time. So now I, I do remember it. And, uh, um, but, you know, Kevin was really good at, uh, you know, finding, uh, you know, the type of player that we needed. So I'm sure that's why, you know, you were getting a call. Yeah, well, missed opportunity. I should have, could have, could have kept it going. Uh, old man, <laughs> hammy isn't. So, well, one thing I was curious to is like you mentioned Kershaw and like great players. Do you have any conclusions you've you've made about managing great players? You know, Buster Posey's and Kane and Lincecum and these sort of game changers. I mean, is there any you know common element that you kind of found out over the years? You know what? Um, on what I see with great players, Doug, is, um, uh, you know, I had Randy Johnson at, at the end of his career, uh, um, Court Buster, uh, Tony Gwynn, uh, uh, you know, these guys, they, it's like they never, they never stop trying to become a better player. You know, uh, they never think they arrive as a player. Uh, uh, I'd still, I mean, You've hit off the tee before, right? I, I it can get kind of boring for me. I, I uh, and Tony never stopped. I mean, he'd get there early and do his tee work. It, it was just relentless uh, with his work ethic, and uh, so that's the one common uh, denominator I, I really see with these guys. You know, and I still remember the comment that uh, you know Randy Johnson, who we had in two thousand nine. And, uh, you know, we made a lot of improvement. And that kind of was our stepping stone to 2010. But, you know, Timmy had won a Cy Young. And uh, he said, uh, so so what? You know, are you going to be happy with one Cy Young? And when uh, you think about it, you know, that's what made him so great. And uh, But, I mean, what a great message to a young kid that, here, you know, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. And, uh and probably it could be easy to go into cruise control and they uh, just got challenged and sure enough, you want another one. But, uh, you know, that's, that's what they, they, they never, never stop, uh, trying to be, uh, the best player that, that they can be. And, and, and that's, that's what I admired about them. Cause I would look at it, even Barry Bonds. I mean, he, the guy was incredible. Uh, you know, how he studied the pictures and said, I had, him, I only had him one year, but watching him that last, Sure. I mean, he just saw the game in a different way. You know, this is such a perfect segue to what I wanted to ask you next, because you did manage some incredible stars and, and characters. I, I'd love if we could do a few quick hits on just a few of these guys, um, especially from your Giants time. How about I mention the name and just give me a quick take on what you remember when you think about managing them, even if it's just a few words that sum that up. Buster Posey. Yeah. I mean, professional, uh, incredible talent that, that he just, he, he gets it. He gets the game. Uh, uh, a smarter player as I've had in uh, game changer when we brought him up in 2010 uh, on, on the Hamlin staff on the hitting side, uh, uh, but just, a, you know, a quality human being. Madison Bumgarner. Uh, 
intense, hard, uh, tremendous work ethic, which a lot of people don't know about Madison. I mean, he's always uh, in a weight room working now or, or working on pitching, uh, uh, really looking to become a better pitcher with uh, um, trying to get all the, the information he can be. Uh, sure, hard-nosed, tough uh, competitor as you can get, but uh, you know I, I just love how much he he loves the game and uh, and tries to get better. Uh, you just mentioned him a minute ago, Tim Linscombe. Timmy, uh, free spirit, that uh, just incredible talent. That was probably one one of my favorite teammates, and I think all the all the players would say that. And a fan favorite, uh, uh, just pulled for everybody. Uh, I, you know, getting back to my son, he'd come over to spring training and help up, help out from the minor league side. And he said, just incredible how Timmy would take uh, all those young guys under his wing and talk to him and, uh, and how good he was to him. But uh, um, just uh, he, he was a freak, and that's his, you know he had the perfect nickname because I'll never forget <laughs> my first year there. Dave Rigetti, pitching coach, he points over over there and goes. There's your number one pick last year. And I look, I, and the guy weighs 150 pounds. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he made Doug look like a bodybuilder. And I, <laughs> I, I, I just couldn't, I said, you kidding me. And then I saw him throw, and oh my goodness. <laughs> I love that. Pablo Sandoval. Play with joy. Yeah, you, we're all different, as I said. And we all played the game in a different way, but just loved the way this man the joy that he played with, incredible uh, bat-to-ball skills that could expand the zone, uh, uh, but uh, better athlete than uh, ever given credit for. Uh, you know, he could play a good third base, and uh, uh, but, uh, you know, tremendous hitter. Just just so much fun to be around. All right, one more. Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson, you know, he's one of those guys that uh, you love because he dare, you know, he dared to be different. And, uh, um, you know, he's a great teammate, but uh, uh, tough competitor. He, you know, I'd, I'd have to take the ball from him. He'd tell me, hey, I, I can pitch 162 games for you. <laughs> that, that was him. And, uh, uh, but the smart, intelligent, smart guy that uh, had great stuff. And, uh, uh, but, um, you know, this is uh, a very good teammate to be around. Yeah, I mean, those, well, no, that's, it's, it's always fun to think about how uh, you won all these championships. And I guess going into spring training with these type of players, did you did you sense it, The you know, from the day you came together? Was there a moment you said, this team can win and we could keep winning? Yeah, you know what? And, um in, in, in 2010, I, I really felt that because, you know, we had a good year in 2009, but uh, I, 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 I wonder if I felt it more than they did sometimes because uh, San Diego got off a good start and they were up on a six or seven games. And, you know, a few meetings I would have, I'd just say, hey, they're going to stumble, you know, just keep going. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, we ended up winning at the, you know, our division, the last game of the year. We are looking at a, unbelievable scenario if we would have lost we would have had to go down to san diego and uh and i still remember the private secretary before that game he put a memo out to bring our luggage 
you know, in case we lost. Mm-hmm. And I had to give wow. the team, you're not bringing any luggage. We're burning the bridges. We ain't losing this. And so if we'd have lost that game, then we all would have gone home and packed. Then if we'd <laughs> lost to San Diego, we were going to have to go to land and play for a wild card. Uh, so, um, but, uh, you know, the game against Atlanta uh, was one of the moves I second-guessed myself. I took out Jonathan Sanchez in the eighth inning. And uh, they pinch hit Bobby, pinch hit Hensky. And I put Romo in, and Hensky hit a home run, two-run homer to take the lead. And, and Johnny was throwing a great game. We're, we're up two to one, I think. And uh, I went, oh, my goodness. And, you know, that would have given them the lead, two to one, in the best out of five. And uh, we came back. Kimbrell was a young Kimbrell, his rookie year back then. We came back and won that game. And won the uh, end up winning the next day to win it. That's when I, I said, you know, there's something special about this team. We called them the Misfits, and uh, there's something special. And then went on the Philly and uh, of course the World Series. Wow. Um, hey, can I ask you about a couple of moments from your career that people might not know about? Um, let me start with this. You might know the answer to this trivia question. Who's the only man ever to hit a walk-off home run off Nolan Ryan? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was uh, – That's you, right? Yeah, yeah. You know what? Uh, I got him in the ninth inning. He, he, you know, Glossy was down about 95, I think. And, uh, um, <laughs> oh, and, uh, he, he was tired? Yeah. So he was only throwing he, 95? Yeah, he probably had about 150 pitches at the time. And uh, he threw me down and in. And I wasn't a good hitter for that one pitch I could I could hit a little bit and uh and I wrapped around the left field foul pole like Frank Howard always told me to and uh and there's a walk off and I still remember <laughs> I got you know it, you know my biggest home run at the time and you know what career I had and uh I got to the clubhouse they had put a carpet all the way to my uh, locker and my helmet with six beers in it. And that was put the mice on it. And they actually got six beers in my helmet. So that, that was a big joke at the time. But, you know, just add to that real quick. Nolan and I were teammates earlier, you know, back in 80. And so uh, two days later, he was taking his bullpen. And I was out shagging the right field. And bullpen at the Murph or Qualcomm was in for the visiting. So I was in right field bullpen. Uh, bullpen area and he said Boach I got something for you next time and he dropped down he threw about a hundred about where my head was and uh, having, having fun with me so anyway no that, that that was a huge one huge well I'm glad that hundred at your head thing never yeah, happened yeah. Um, you know I, it, real it, quick but, I asked Dick Williams yeah I, Terry Kennedy was the left hand hitter and I finally said Dick I'm just curious you know what why why did I play against Nolan Ryan? You know, when, uh, we end up running each other. You know, you think you're looking for something nice. Uh, he says, well, I didn't I, I didn't want to get my starting catcher hurt. And I go, oh, okay, thanks, Dick. <laughs> what a show of faith that was. Yeah, yeah. All right, I got to ask you one more of these. Look, you were famous for your cap size, which was, what, it was eight and an eighth? Is that right? Eight and eight. Uh, it, yeah. Is it so? Is it true that every time you change teams as a player, you had to take your helmet with you to your new team and then paint it? Oh no, no question. Critical. I had to take. I played five, <laughs> years. I played five years of winter ball. 
that is the most tribal <laughs> helmet you've ever seen. <laughs> and, you know, it was, a, you know, I had to be specially ordered. And, uh, and so it went everywhere with me and, uh, I still have it. I, I, you know, I'm, I should start adding the coats of paint on that uh, helmet. Uh, uh, but no, I, I, uh, uh, that, that was a must deal for me to carry the helmet with me everywhere. And I, I ended up getting a couple more as backups cause I did break one with the, and the stupid snap I had and, uh, threw the helmet down. I wanted to cry when it broke cause I knew I had another one. Oh no. <laughs> Uh, wait, wait! You didn't have another one, and you broke it. So I that broke it. I, I had to. I broke the ear flap helmet, and that at the time, you know, they still had, had a grandfathered in where some guys didn't have to wear the uh, the ear flap, and uh, so I got away with wearing my catcher's helmet hitting. But uh, when I, I will say, when when you're used to having that ear flap, it gives you a little sense of of uh, security. We don't have it. You know, it makes you think, oh, geez, I get hit in the ear now, it's going to hurt. <laughs> not going to be good. Well, I, there's one thing I, you know, since you mentioned the 80s Astros, is, can, you, can you give me, um, you know, a Philly fan growing up, 80 World Series, is there is there a tidbit you can give me about that 80s uh, playoff series, which was amazing? Any Anything that nobody knows, Astros, Phillies? Oh, my goodness. I mean, what, what a playoff that was. Uh, oh. We just came off uh, – you know, we had to beat L.A. in uh, uh, an extra game. We had a three-game lead on them with, uh, with the three-game series in L.A., and they swept us. So we had to play an extra game, and uh, we we won that. And then we had to fly right to Philly and play the next day. And, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, I I got in the last game. Uh, the, I'm sorry, the fourth game. Of course, I had the collision with Pete Rose. And Atlanta story threw the ball. Uh, uh, Luzinski hit a ball, doubled down the line. And, uh, so we had a relay, and he was out. He'd been out easy. And uh, I got short hopped. And, you know, back then, you had to stay in front of home plate. So, you know, Pete ran into me, as you know Pete's going to do. And uh, so it wasn't a good memory for me. And uh, so it goes to game five. You know, they end up beating us in, that, in extra innings. I think every game went, uh, made, except for one, went extra innings. Then uh, game five, we had Nolan Ryan on the mound in the eighth inning. His record was like a hundred to one that, you know, he, he would win that game. And, uh, you know, Pete Rose had a long and bad answer. And uh, long story short, they ended up uh, tying that game. The Maddox got the base hit off of uh, LaCordy in the 10th inning, take the lead. And, uh, and, and win the game, but uh, for a young kid, I, I was devastated because you know I felt like I was part of that loss, and uh, that, that wasn't easy uh, uh, for me. But uh, you know, looking back though, uh, it was some kind of ser- Terry Poole had an unbelievable uh, uh, playoffs. But uh, I still remember one thing, and I second guessed Bill Burden on, and uh, and that's not walking Boone in that last game. We had, had runners on second and third, and Boone was an eight-hole hitter. And his philosophy then was, we're not ever walking eight-hole hitter. He's hitting eighth for a reason. Well, the Phillies had a pretty good lineup. And so with second and third, he had Ryan pitch to uh, uh, Boone. And uh, and you had the young kid. Uh, help me, Doug. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, a senior Pitcher? moment here. Keith Moreland was behind him. Uh, Keith Moreland? 
No, no, no. The pitcher. Or, oh, pitcher. Uh, oh, yeah. Ruthven. Dick no, Ruthven. No, young kid. He's a rookie. Uh, came oh, up that year. Marty Bystrom. Bystrom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so he's and so he pitches a bone. He gets a base hit. Knocks in two runs. Of course, he punches out Bystrom. So uh, that that <laughs> I still look back at that. And I know Bill had to had you know God God rest his soul. I mean, I know he probably had to have second thoughts on that one. You know, Glanville was a young Phillies fan at the time, so I don't think he feels that sorry for you. Just let <laughs> yeah, you know. I, I do. I do a little. I do a little bit now, actually. Uh, Boone was the first autograph I got. I sent a wrote a letter to a bunch of players, and uh, he was the very first autograph mailed back to me. So I, I always remember Booney for that one. One more, and then we'll let you go. Uh, there were reports just this past winter that that were linking you to the Padres managerial job. That, that was before. Bob Melvin left Oakland and went there. Um, you know, the White Sox had you on their list. It would have been the winter before when they hired Tony La Russa. Do you think that you'll ever manage again? And and what would the situation have to be for you to go back in the dugout? Well, um, you know what? I, I've said this. You don't rule anything out. You know, the old never say never. And, uh, uh, I tell you what, I feel as good as I've felt in a, in a long time uh, you know, the back was really uh, getting the best of me that last year. I felt bad. There's a couple of times I wanted to go out to the umpire, but it was so bad. But I've gotten that fixed. Uh, the knee. I, you know, and I kid about this. I said, you know, part of Buster retiring, I think, was he'd watch me walk out to the mound. And he, <laughs> and he, and he asked me one time, am I going to walk like you when I get older? Cause he goes, you know, I'm a catcher. I said, believe it. But, uh, Anyway, to answer your question, uh, I, I, you don't rule anything out. Uh, what, what, it'd have to be somebody I think I'd have a great relationship with as far as, you know, um, my boss. Uh, uh, you know, of course, you know, you, you know the team, uh, a very competitive team. Uh, uh, so, you know, all those would probably come into play. And uh, uh, so I, I don't think you rule anything out. Well, um, Bochers, I mean, you're one of the great managers who have ever done it in, in my time covering baseball. So if the planets line up and you do it again, I'd love to see it back in a dugout. If if not, I think we might be seeing you in Cooperstown. That that committee meets later this year. It is an even year, right? <laughs> so Yeah, you know, I don't even think about it. You know how I, I look at the Hall of Fame, you know, you think of bench and and uh, all the great players, Mays, everybody, and uh, so that's 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 the Hall of Fame. So and, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's way beyond what what I ever uh, ever think about. And uh, but no, I, I appreciate that. But uh, you know, I I just uh, I, yeah, I'm blessed to, to you know I've had the career I've had because of all the great players and the people I've worked with. And, uh, so I, I'm good. Well, Boach, this has been fantastic. Glad we finally got you onto this show. Uh, really appreciate you joining us and look forward to seeing you at a ballpark soon or Cooperstown soon or wherever our paths may cross. All right. Well, guys, thanks for really. I appreciate you uh, calling me and, and asking me to come on. I've enjoyed it. And uh, you guys have a great day. Let's all have a good year here. And, uh, hopefully I'll see you guys down the road. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience 
a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano-instrumentation, all through a barely-there poke-hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, Doug, it's that time again. Time for our listener trivia. Our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. So how does that work? You know how that works. Every week, we pick our favorite trivia question submitted by our lucky listeners. Then we invite one of those lucky listeners to join us on this show and attempt to stump us with the question of the week. We'll tell you how you can do that in just a few minutes. Uh, but first, Doug, I applaud you for last week when I was gone. Uh, at least you, you did not do what you did the previous time I was gone, which was dodge trivia completely. <laughs> <laughs> there was, in fact, trivia last week. Why don't you recap how that went? Did not go well. Um, I, I would accept getting, I should have gotten two out of three. The Granky thing I had totally... And I don't know why I forgot to mention him. <clears throat> so that was inexcusable, but I would have gotten it wrong. So that's okay. I've, I carried the torch as well as I could. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would have gotten that one wrong too, by the way. It was a really good question. But enough, enough of that. I'm back here to hopefully help you, help us yeah. get back on the trivia track. You know, it's been a while since we got one right, mm -hmm. so why don't we rectify that this week? Does that sound good? Yeah, let's do it. We, you know, we're we're just letting people catch up, but now it's time to play play ball here. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're doing. <laughs> on that note, let's bring in this week's special trivia guest star. It's Robert Mosley. Robert, welcome to Starkville. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, really appreciate you being here. Very happy to have you on. Now. Since your Twitter avatar uh, consists of a Braves logo, I'm going to shrewdly deduce that you're a Braves fan. So just making sure that's correct. Yes, sir. Big Braves fan. <laughs> Where are you from, and, and how would you say your life has been since October happened? Well, I'm from, from Huntsville, Alabama. Um, been kind of a wild ride since October. You know, the Braves have... Uh, let Freddie Freeman go, so that's kind of been of a whirlwind yeah. for the fans. Um, but uh, Alex Anthopoulos did a great job replacing him with uh, with Matt Olson, so with uh, enjoyed having him. And with the Dodgers series coming up here, I guess starting tonight, um, should be some good conversation had 
about who um, <laughs> who got the better part of that deal. So. Yeah, yeah. So you think Freddie Freeman playing against the Braves that might come up? Oh, uh, yeah, possible. <laughs> there might uh, maybe a time or two. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Robert, we loved your question so much that we actually carried it over from last week. So uh, here's your chance to do America's favorite thing, by which I mean stumping us with your trivia question. Let's hear it. All righty. Since 1990 uh, through last season, there are three teams with records above 500 that have not won a World Series. Who are they? Uh, All right, this is uh, excellent. And it's right? in, oh. like, clearly it's not like ever. They're just, just in that no, period. No, this starts right, in 1990, right, yeah. right? Okay. Yes, sir. Okay, so you get the concept. Yep. Doug, over the last, like, three decades, three teams have won more games than they've lost, mm-hmm. but don't have a World Series trophy. I feel, feel good about and this one. Feel good. I, I Like, I'm almost sure I know two of them. Um, I would think one is the Indians. All the great teams they had in the 90s. Uh, then Terry Francona. Terry Francona got there a decade ago. They've been, the, I think, the winningest team in the American League. Pretty well known they haven't won a World Series. <laughs> right. like they've got to be one. Uh, then I think the A's have to be two. Uh, they, they won the World Series the year before this started, which seems like it's not a coincidence. Uh, then they got swept in the World Series in 1990 by the Lupinella Reds. Uh, then like that started a run of all those really good teams that could never win in October. So I just feel like they've got to be part of this. So the thing is, all right, who's the third, Doug? Um, I'm kind of leaning toward Texas. The Rangers are another one of those teams. They've been in the postseason so many times in the wild card era. They've never won. But uh, I thought about the Brewers. I kicked around the Mariners. Thought about the Mets. Doug, what do you think? Um, I'm I'm kind of thinking the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, <clears throat> some really bad teams early on. Bad though. teams early. I, right, '98 to '08 was like was it dismal? Until, until '08, they were they were the worst team in baseball. That's a lot of years. Then yeah, they catch up somehow. They were so good. <laughs> um, it's gone well since, yes. but I don't think they're the answer. All right. Well, yeah, the so Rangers, yeah, Rangers, <clears throat> yeah, Brewers, Mariners, Mets, Mariners. Oh, the Mets. Ah, no, it's hard to pick the Mets. Texas. Yeah, I mean, we were bad when I was there, though. That was one year, though, so that was okay. Yvonne uh, Rodriguez. You know, they went to the World Series the two years. Have they been? I guess they have been pretty good. I mean, yeah, I mean, like think think of those teams in the uh, in the late mid '90s, late '90s, and a little blip when Glanville arrived, but then had a good run of getting to the postseason, lost two World Series in a row. Yeah. Been really good in the last few years, but maybe not. Maybe I'm maybe. So I'm all right. So all right, Seattle. You mentioned Seattle. Yeah, they, they just I mean, but this was like so that would have included the Griffey, A Rod, Edgar, yeah, that's a good team, Randy Johnson years. All right, but then so the, remember now they've got a they've got twenty years without. Did Detroit playoffs. win the World Series? They won the World Series, or no? No, uh, not since ninety. Yeah, but, all right, Baltimore. But they were, no. they're another team. They were the they were losing. They lost one hundred and nineteen games one year. Yeah, I uh, I think I think you're on the right track there. I'm trying to Cincinnati. <laughs> 
They won. They won in 90. They won in 90. Right. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. I, I feel like we've got a shot. I'm sure we probably talked ourselves out of the right answer like we usually do, but it's time to find out. Let's find out. So, Robert, is there any chance that the answer is Indians, A's, and Rangers? All right. Coming in at number one on our list with a winning percentage of 525 is the Oakland Athletics. Okay, 525. Nice. Number two on our list with a winning percentage of 519 is... The Cleveland Guardians. Yeah, we should have, we should have mentioned they're Guard, not the Indians. Guardians, yes. <laughs> but they were the Indians yeah, they were when they won all those time, games yeah. and didn't win the World Series. During this time, they were the Indians, so we'll, uh, we'll let that pass. And yeah. then yeah. number three on our list with a winning percentage of 501 is the Texas Rangers. Whoa! Oh nice. <laughs> we did it. Oh we did it. One. Oh it's good. It counts. Oh it's, how many games over 500 were they? Um. Not even 10. Nine games over 500. Oh, my wow. goodness. Unbelievable. Hey, whatever it takes, man. Like, hey, Doug, we're back. Wow. Well, who was, I, who was I, close? I, who was, like, right there? Tampa, maybe? Who was fourth? So, so the next any? closest teams are the Seattle Mariners and okay. the, the New York Mets. Okay, that was way off. You know what we look forward to every week, whether we get the question right or wrong? It's that this is the time we get to bring in the mayor of Starkville, the great Tim McMaster for another fabulous play-by-play clip, which relates to this question. So, Tim, what do you got for us? This was tricky because it's all about not winning the World Series, right? So I decided to find, <laughs> of these three teams, which one basically had the most painful oh. not winning the World Series, which is oh you almost God. feel bad doing it, right? But So it came down to two things, oh. the 2011 Rangers yeah. and the 2016 Indians, who both lost in seven games of the World Series, obviously, both kind of famously. But whereas the Indians (laughs) tied game seven late to force extras, I think it was more painful for the Rangers because the Rangers had a two-run lead in game six. Last strike. Twice. One out away. Led in the ninth and tenth inning of that game. So there you go. So we're going to go with the David Freeze game. Here you go. One of the best Goosebumps. games of all time. Uh, I, I think that's the greatest World Series game ever played. We've talked about it. The team that won the game trailed five different times and would have gone home had they not won that game and instead won the World Series. It's amazing. Joe Buck nailed that call. And Robert Nailed that question, even if we did get it right. So thank you for visiting us here in Starkville. Please come back and do this again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Strange but true. Doug, baseball is the best. Every week, this Strange but True segment basically writes itself produces itself there's always something that is so nuts in this sport that we have to talk about it this is another one of those weeks uh we did 
touch on this briefly with Bruce Bochy, but let's really dig in now. Friday night in Texas, Angels playing the Rangers. Fourth inning, Rangers leading 3-2. Bases loaded, one out, Corey Seager heading for the plate, and out of the dugout pops Joe Madden. Goes to the mound to talk to his rookie reliever, Austin Warren, and he tells him, we're going to intentionally walk this guy in the fourth inning while we're trailing. So that's what they do. They walk in this run, so now they're down two. Then they give up two more runs on a sack fly and a balk. So now they're down four. And... uh, they come back to win the game, but Doug, we've literally never seen anything like this. So, so what was Joe Madden thinking? Uh, as always, he was happy to tell all of us what he was thinking. I thought by walking Seager there, of course, just trying to stay out of a big, a big blow, and also just to stir the group up. Quite frankly, you know, that's something you don't normally do. And I thought, you know, just by going out there and doing something like that, the team might respond. But nevertheless, I thought it was the right thing to do in that moment for us. Obviously, the analytics would probably say not do that. Numbers are one thing. Human beings are something completely different. And for me, the human element right there required what we did. That's it. It had nothing to do with math. It was just the right thing to do in the moment um, to uh, minimize their damage possibly and also possibly to pump us up a bit. He wanted to stir up the group. Well, they won the game. But he also said he was trying to stay out of a big inning. And they gave up five <laughs> runs in the inning. So uh, before we give you the historical perspective, yeah, let me ask you what seems like kind of an important question. Doug, did that work? Well, They won the game. Yeah, well, the stir-up part, you, you will not know for a while, right? If your team is, you know, you always hear about the speech in the dugout, right? And turn over the spread, you know, all these things that, you know, argue, get kicked out of a game, things like that, that yes, they have some emotional impact. Uh, I'm not sure I'd ever heard that I'm going to walk in a run and then people will get fired up. I don't know, but, but, you know, I, you know, they did pull it off, but yeah, if the team sort of says, okay, Hey, my manager's like really unorthodox and I got to be on my toes all the time. I mean, Joe Madden's had some success, hard to argue, then you know, you know, I, maybe they will respond. I mean, I know that it hasn't gone that as well with the Angels, and remains to be seen. He's trying to mix it up because they, they, they are, there is a flatness to the Angels that doesn't make sense given you have Otani and you have these great players. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We'll we'll find out though if they're in first place in a couple of weeks. Maybe it worked. They're in first place as we record this, <laughs> but. Um, I, Doug, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, has anything like this ever happened before? And the answer kind of depends on how you would define anything like this. (laughs) But I'm going to give you every other time that a hitter has gotten intentionally walked with the bases loaded. I I decided I was going to count a few before the intentional walk was an official stat, I'm not counting anything that happened in the 1800s. Always a good policy. All right, here we go. August 17th, 2008, Josh Hamilton gets intentionally walked by 
Joe Madden. Uh, but they were up by four at the time, two outs in the ninth. Next hitter strikes out. They win. May 28th, 1998, Barry Bonds gets intentionally walked by Buck Showalter. But they were up two at the time with two outs in the ninth. Next hitter lines out. They win. Um, all right, now here are three others before the intentional walk was an official stat. These are great. July 23rd, 1944, the guy who gets intentionally walked is Bill Swish Nicholson by Mel Ott was managing the New York Giants. Didn't get the memo about the swish part. So they were up three with nobody out in the eighth, bases loaded, and go on to blow that lead in the inning, but then they score two runs and win anyway. So that was one. May 2nd, 1928. Uh, this was a guy named Del Bissonnette. His actual name was Delphia, which, I don't know, maybe what refused to actually call himself Philadelphia. I don't know what what was going on there, but Del Bissonnette gets intentionally walked by John McGraw. This is kind of interesting because it was the 16th game of Delphia's career. 16 games. Uh, but they were up by two outs, up by two with two outs in the ninth. Next hitter strikes out. They win. This is my favorite of all of them. The last one. May 23rd, 1901. Nap Lajoie, who was hitting, are you ready for this, Doug? 5-12 at the time. <laughs> okay. There was, if ever there's a reason to intentionally walk a guy, he's hitting 5-12. And he's intentionally walked by, the manager was Clark Griffith of the White Sox, who ordered his pitcher, who also was Clark Griffith of the White Sox, pitcher manager. So he orders himself to intentionally walk a 5-12 hitter, something like that. But they're up three with nobody out in the ninth. They got the next three guys out. They won. So have we ever seen anything like what Joe Madden did? I think the answer is no. Not, not even close. All those other teams were winning at the time in the late innings. But Joe Madden's team was losing, and it was the fourth inning. So, Doug, I would not have done this. I would not have even thought about doing this. Yeah. Would you? I mean, I, th I think that's the consensus uh, across America here uh, and internationally. But uh, I am curious, not to, you know, because I don't want to make you do all this work, but it, it, working backwards, I would be curious about guys who got up with the bases loaded and it blew up in their face like they hit a grand slam. And then looking back, would you say, oh, I should have walked that guy? There might be a few of those. I mean, now being down by, what were they down by two runs at the time? Down two. Yeah. that Started, the inning, started the inning with the lead. Yeah. And then gave then, it up. No, they were down a run. The walk puts them down. Two. two. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know if you're going to find that because, yeah, the fact that you're already down – uh, and you're just afraid to be more down. It, that, that's the tough thing. The that's the fourth inning. Now I get the whole like a lot of the analytics breakdowns come in these leverage situations. I think we've accepted that 
there are high leverage situations early in the game that we kind of underestimate because it's not the ninth inning. Terry Francona using, you know, Andrew Miller, for example, the way he did in the postseason. Things like that where you start to see, I, I, I get that. But yeah, the whole being down and then putting another run on the board. I mean, hey, well, once again, <clears throat> the Angels win the division. Yeah, Joe Madden. But I mean, he's look, he's outside the box thinker. And I, I love Joe. I think he's really interesting. But I, even for Joe, I don't think he actually thought that through. I think he's like, he just was like, let me just do something spontaneous and just be like, whatever. And people are going to ask me if I lost my mind, that's fine. Because I just want to shake things up. And I think that's exactly what he did. Because we're talking about it. Good for him. Yeah. One of our favorite things about Joe Madden is how willing he is to think outside the box. But I don't think he's ever thought this far outside any box. <laughs> okay, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you this podcast magic all season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read the incredible writing in The Athletic, we can tell you how to do that. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you can still subscribe for just $1 a month for the next six months. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. You just have to submit a trivia question. And if we pick you to join us, you can prove once again. There is almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. So how do you submit that great baseball trivia question? Well, you can email us at Starkville at theathletic.com or you can reach us on Twitter. How would somebody reach Doug Glanville on Twitter? Oh, yeah. Just at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. People wait all show for Doug to spell his name. Yeah, it's very exciting. So I'm going to spell my first name. I am at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Remember, hashtag those questions, Starkville QS. So Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Bruce Bochy for joining us. Thanks to Robert Mosley for the fun trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. Yeah. And thanks to you all for listening. Tomorrow is roundtable day here on the Athletic Baseball Show. And Doug and I will see you next week in Starkville.